Hello, Shiver Seekers. Are you ready to follow us into the bizarre unknown? I'm Cynthia. And I am Stephanie. And you have found the Dark Oak. Stephanie. Today I'm going to tell you the bizarre and outrageous story about Dana Sue Gray. Oh, okay. Is this one you've heard before? I've never heard of it. It's not ringing a bell. Okay. Well, wait until you hear about this one. Okay. Dana Sue Gray was born on December 6, 1957 in Southern California. Her father, Russell, worked as a hairdresser, and her mother, Beverly, was a former beauty queen and a former MGM starlet. Oh, wow. So very beautiful. Yeah. You know, had a little bit of a career going on. And her husband could do her hair for her. And her husband, exactly, could fashion her up. Yeah. Now, by the time the two were married, Russell was already on wife number four. Okay. So, you know, commitment wasn't you know, really his strong suit, Uh, but they did get together. They were enamored with each other in the beginning. And after a series of miscarriages, unfortunately, they did give birth to Dana. Okay, great. Yeah. Now, Russell, from everything I've read, just seemed kind of like a normal guy. Like marriage was a little difficult for him, but ultimately just a regular old dude. Beverly, on the other hand, was a whole different story. People who knew her described her in a mix of terms. Fun-loving, volatile, adventurous, self-centered, <laughs> fun, vain. I mean, all these really, you know, she was a mix. I feel like I have a very good, like, idea of who Beverly was already. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I know a Beverly. Oh, yeah. She also spent money excessively and was known to have a violent side. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interestingly, and this is a little foreshadowing, friends of Dana's would use these same words to describe her. Mm. Yes. Russell came home one day to find Beverly scrapping with a neighborhood in the gutter in their neighborhood. <laughs> scrapping with a neighbor? Yeah. So literally, a uh, he drove home from work mm-hmm. and found her fist fighting with a neighbor in the gutter. Oh, wow. Yeah. So after that, he was like, I'm done. <laughs> oh, like, that was it? That was the breaking like, point? I'm outie. This is weird. <laughs> So he left. Okay. Um, Dana was about two years old. Unfortunately, for several years after that, she didn't have a ton of contact with her father. They did form a relationship later and in life. Mm -hmm. But this left most of the parenting to Beverly. Sure. Yeah. And her parenting style was described as a combination of material overindulgence and emotional neglect. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) I mean, I couldn't have seen that coming. Recipe for success. (laughs) In this case, one could argue that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because Dana started acting out almost immediately for attention, and it was apparent that Dana had inherited her mother's terrible temper. Even as a child, when Dana didn't get what she wanted or felt neglected or put down, she got revenge. She cut holes in one of her mother's dresses, wet her half-brother's bed, like, oh. would just go in and literally just pee on his bed to make him angry. Like a mad cat. <laughs> like a mad cat. Yes, exactly. You left me home all day. Here, yeah. I'm going to pee in your shoe. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. She trashed her teacher's classroom, and her uh, most popular method of revenge was to steal mo- money from her mother and go out and buy whatever she wants, normally like candies and trinkets and things like that. And how old is she? Um, this is kind of up until the age. Well, I don't know exactly when she started going out sure. and doing these things, but mm-hmm. basically like prepubescent 
Okay, like, so red flags. These are pretty severe. Oh, uh, yeah. This is like 12, 13, 14. Yeah. Like, young. Yeah, that's pretty scary. Yeah, exactly. Um, She cared little for school and made mediocre grades and would often fight with her teachers and peers, skip classes, and experiment with drugs and alcohol. Okay. When Dana was 14, her mother developed breast cancer oh. and passed away shortly after. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. So it's already not a great situation. Sure. Beverly passes away. Dana attempted living with her father after her mother's passing, but was kicked out of their home after her stepmother found marijuana in the room she was staring with her stepsister. Okay. I mean, I can see where stepmother's coming from at the same time. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we still got to take care of this little girl here. Exactly. Exactly. But again, I mean, you can't, you can't have marijuana. Yeah. You got to protect the other minors. Exactly. Exactly. It was during this time that Dana discovered her need for adrenaline. Dana was obsessed with extreme sports. She loved skydiving, windsurfing, snow skiing, and cycling. If it was fast and dangerous, Dana was ready. Despite her whirlwind adolescence, Dana managed to graduate from high school in 1976. And after graduating, she moved in with her 23-year-old skydiving instructor boyfriend, Rob. (laughs) I always feel like this is like a script for a movie in some scenarios. During the time in the hospital with her mother, Dana had decided she wanted to be a nurse. So with her boyfriend's help, she began attending nursing school. Okay. Now, during this time, she became pregnant twice with Rob and at the urging of her boyfriend, aborted both babies. Okay. Now, this is something that apparently haunted her. You know, she really was disappointed. So this wasn't what she would have chosen. It's not what she would have chosen. Okay. Um. But despite this, she really seemed to get her life together. She graduated from nursing school in 1981. She got a good job and seemed happy. She was a serious athlete with a fit physique and beautiful blonde hair. In 1987, she married Tom Gray, her high school crush, at an upscale winery in Temecula. Cute. Yeah. So it's kind of like she had this kind of rough upbringing. It wasn't going well, but she really seemed to get it together. Yeah. She became a nurse. She like. Yeah. yeah. Has this guy that she loves that is like crazy about her. Like, just keep it together, Dana. Yeah. But that is not what happened. Hmm. (laughs) Marriage quickly started to turn sour when Dana dug the couple into debt within the first year of their marriage. Luxury and indulgence were all that seemed to matter to Dana. Dana's professional life also started to suffer. While proficient at her job, she was often seen as patronizing and controlling by her coworkers. She was unable to accept any criticism and refused to take responsibility for even minor mistakes. Any perceived slight or insult were blown out of proportion, making all those around her feel as though they were walking on eggshells. Okay. Yeah. So that volatile part is there. It's part of her. Yeah. Within a few years, Dana was drinking more and fights with her husband escalated. While the two tried to raise money through various business ventures, none could bring in money to offset Dana's spending. Mm. She was just out of control. In early 1993, Dana moved in with her lover, oh, Jim Wilkins, and his five-year-old son, Jason. Okay. Jim and Dana knew each other because Jim was a member of Dana's husband's band. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Eating where we uh, eating yeah. where we poop. Uh, <laughs> yes. Nail on the head there. Nail on the head. All right. For several months. This is so weird. Dana went back and forth between her husband and her affair with Jim Wilkins trying to conceive a baby. With either one of them? Yes. And both of them, did they know about each other? Yes. Okay. That always baffles me. No, Dana was very desirable. Yeah. Apparently. That always baffles me when people are like openly like knowing that their partner is, but they're like cool with it or maybe not cool with it, but. No, I think with Tom it. really wanted her back mm-hmm. and Jim was like enamored with her as well. Again, she's okay. very fit. She is. And again, she's, she's sociable. Like she. Likeable. She's likable yeah. when she's not, you know, trying to beat you up. But she, 
<laughs> I mean, she she has this charisma about sure. her. Sure. Mm -hmm. right? She did become pregnant twice, but both pregnancies resulted in miscarriages. Oh. Yeah. Now, I'm going to read you a paragraph here, and the timeline is very important. So pay attention okay. to the timeline, okay? So that was early 1993. She moved in with Jim, okay? In June of 1993, Dana officially filed for divorce from Tom. In September of 1993, Dana and Tom declared bankruptcy and their house in Canyon Lake was foreclosed on. In November of 1993, Dana was fired from the hospital where she worked for misappropriating painkillers. Oh. Yeah. At the end of 1993, Dana saw a psychiatrist who diagnosed her with depression and gave her a prescription for Paxil. So okay. 1993 was a busy year. Busy year. Yeah. Right. Left husband for a lover, officially filed for divorce, declared bankruptcy and lost my house, fire from the hospital, said, hey, I'm kind of losing my mind. I need some help. Sure. Okay. Okay. Two months later, Dana Sugray would kill Norma Davis. Okay. Yeah. It escalated quickly. Very quickly. Very quickly. The Paxil didn't help. The Paxil did not help. And somehow the psychiatrist wasn't able to say, hey, maybe there's something else going on here. Hmm. Okay. Take this antidepressant. You're going to be fine. Right. On February 14th, 1994, on Valentine's Day, Dana sent word to her estranged husband, Tom, through Tom's parents. Okay. Now she did this because when it was really going south, Tom cut off connection with Dana. I mean, he was no fool. Right? <laughs> Maybe he was for a brief moment, but he came to his senses. Sure. And he did not let Dana have any of his contact information. She didn't know where he lived. She didn't know his phone number. He was like, I just consider me not part of your life anymore. Right. So Dana wanted to get together with Tom. So she sent word to Tom through Tom's parents that she wanted to meet up with him. And again, February 14th, Valentine's Day, right? So okay. it's this like, let's get together. Let's kind of rekindle. And man, that is a hard thing to say no to if you've ever been in that scenario. So initially, uh -huh. Tom agreed, but did not show up. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he kind of came to he his senses. He was like, eh, I don't Red have flag. a good feeling about this. Okay. Exactly. Later that day, Dana murdered Norma Davis, an elderly woman. <gasps> who Dana had shared a home with for some time. Oh. Also, it was Norma. It's kind of a weird um, family connection, but Norma was Dana's stepmother, Jerry. It was Jerry's ex-mother-in-law. So Jerry, before she married Dana's father, okay. had been married previously. And her first husband passed away, was natural causes, passed mm -hmm. away. But she always had this really great relationship with her mother-in-law. So even though her first husband had passed away, she still cared for her ex-mother-in-law. Okay. Which is a wonderful thing. Says actually. a lot about her yeah. character. And actually, the more we learn about Jerry, I, I think she's a really stand-up woman. Okay. Um, and so she would always care for Norma. So Dana and Norma did know each other. Okay. I mean, it was kind of a distant, like, sure. through marriage, but they knew each other. And at one time, Norma had let Dana stay with her when she was going through these volatile times. Oh, man. So Dana went in there and murdered Norma. Wow. Exactly. Tom later found out, because remember, this was supposed to be a rendezvous with Tom. Sure. Tom later found out that Dana had taken out an insurance policy on him. <gasps> oh, no. The policy would have paid off the Canyon Lake house in the event of his death. <laughs> so her wanting to meet up with Tom was probably not for a little fun rendezvous. Well, it may have been, but it would have ended in something ended. nefarious. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Dodging a bullet. That's what literally, I call that. Literally. Yes. yes. Now, Norma Davis was 86. Oh, man. What is wrong with people? Yeah. 86. And she's thought to be Dana Sugray's first victim. She was found two days after her death by her best friend, Alice Williams. Oh, my goodness. I know. This makes me so incredibly sad. Alice and Norma had become like sisters since they moved into the same neighborhood five years earlier. They often went shopping and made beauty appointments together. Alice was anticipating a phone call 
with Norma to set up their monthly hair appointment. Two days of Norma not answering her phone led Alice to her home to check on her friend. When she arrived, the front door was unlocked. This was not unusual as Norma would often leave the door unlocked if she was expecting visitors. But according to Alice, the air in the house was different. Mm -hmm. After calling for Norma a few times, Alice inspected the downstairs bedrooms, but did not find Norma. She slowly climbed the stairs to the second floor. As she stopped at the landing, she saw her friend. She was dead in her favorite gold armchair. She had a wooden handle utility knife sticking out of her neck (gasps) and a matching fillet knife sticking out of her chest i just got chills like it's horrible like the image is sitting in her chair yeah her favorite chair and she had all the things that she would need around her like she looked like she was settling in for a while she, she had all her knitting things she had her drink of water she had a book like she was clearly just settled in she had little slippers on her feet i mean she was just like i'm just gonna have a nice cozy day and this one I'm somebody just comes yes. shoves knives in her exactly wow awful awful oh i wasn't expecting that wow yeah i know it's a doozy and i have to say okay murdering anybody is not okay but to murder the elderly is like murdering a child you know what i mean it's a special kind of heinous. yeah it's like i don't know and i don't know why that is but just like come on an 86 year old woman like just trying to live out the rest of her life yeah just leave knitting yeah that's right wow that's right other than a broken fingernail which was perfectly painted pearl pink. Oh, of course it was. There were no other visible marks on her. Oh, wow. A bloodied afghan lay over her feet. Detectives later learned that there had been no forced entry into the home. An autopsy revealed that she had been strangled, most likely with a phone cord ripped out of the wall, and stabbed 11 times. (gasps) Yeah. Do you think maybe because there's no self-defense, do you think she was either just completely caught by surprise or maybe like even fell asleep in her chair or something? It's totally And then possible. just like. Yeah. Wow. And especially with the strangling. So maybe she was asleep and then yeah. it just came up on her. Right. Like, and, and just she couldn't move. by the time it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The neck wounds were so deep that they nearly took her head off. Oh, no. Yeah. Police found a small size Nike running shoe print but little else. Hmm. So they basically had nothing to go on. Sure. Really. An hour after Dana ended Norma's life, two days before Norma's friends and family would even learn of her death, Dana was on a shopping spree with Norma's credit cards. (laughs) I literally just got chill bumps because that is like, I don't know why that is so insensitive, but that is so incredibly like a slap in the, in the, like, I'm going to kill you and then I'm going to go spend your money. I mean, it's unfathomable, unfathomable. Mm-hmm. There we go. That's why we started this episode by saying bizarre. I mean, yeah. this is so bizarre. Oh my so bizarre. gosh. Yeah. Two weeks later. So that was on February 14th. So mm-hmm. two weeks later on February 28th, 1994, Dana killed again. <gasps> no. Yeah. This lady is so honorable. she just went from like zero to like nutcase. You wait for it. Yes. Oh my goodness. Bizarre. It gets weirder and weirder. 66 year old June Roberts, who, like Norma, lived in the gated community of Canyon Lake, was murdered on her birthday <sighs> with. Her boyfriend's five-year-old son, Jason, sitting in the car. Dana, who knew June as an acquaintance, knocked on her door under the ruse of borrowing a book on how to stop drinking alcohol. June allowed her into the home, and while she was looking for the book, Dana unplugged June's phone and used the curly cord to strangle her. When June was unconscious, Dana kept tension on the phone cord by tying it to a nearby chair. Like she drug over this armchair and tied it so that it kept pressure like on on it. And then she stepped away into the kitchen and found a heavy wine decanter. She rolled June onto her stomach and brought the decanter down on the back of her head. Dana then rifled through June's purse, 
stealing two of her credit cards. Wow. Violent, violent woman. After she left the scene, she went back out to the car where Jason was waiting and said, Hey, buddy, you want to go on a shopping spree? (laughs) I mean, Callis does not even begin to cover it. Okay, all I can think about is like this little boy when he grows up and learns that he was sitting outside in the car when this woman just brutally murdered a woman. That's right. That's right. Wow. Yeah. So off they sped on a shopping spree at the upscale shopping center in Temecula. Off they went. Now, first, they stopped for lunch where Dana ordered scampi, crab cakes, and cheesecake without even looking at the menu. It was so much food that the waiter had to pack it up in a to-go package. She charged it all on June's credit card. Next, Dana got an eyebrow and mustache wax for herself and a haircut for Jason. She charged $170 on June's credit card, even signing June Roberts. Wow. She bragged to the cashier that she was going on a shopping spree. I mean, like, not even trying to cover it up. She was just like, whoo, I'm having a great day going on a shopping spree. Okay, so here's a weird question. Maybe things have changed. But, like, how do you even know how much room is available on somebody's credit card? I think she was just going to keep spending until it wasn't there anymore. And also, remember, June was kind of an acquaintance. Okay. And she was known to be wealthy. I mean, this Canyon Lake area was, I mean, it wasn't, like, really, like, true, like, significant wealth okay but these women were known to be a little bit more well-to-do and probably frugal yeah i mean i I shouldn't say that because that's kind of stereotypical but you know i mean i think a lot of these women were known these older women were Mm -hmm. known to be very in shape june in particular actually was known to be very fit like she was a very good looking older woman Mm -hmm. very tan pretty muscular i mean played a lot of like sports like tennis and things like that very active um but um she had been recently widowed Okay. And so I think it was just known she had this wealth. So, so, okay. So, like, because I'm thinking, you know. So she was a good target. Some people's credit cards, you decline. or (laughs) You you know what I mean? Don't kill me. You don't, we don't have any room on our credit cards. (laughs) It'll all be in vain. (laughs) Okay. So that makes sense. She knew enough to know that these people. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Next, they went to West Dallas, which was an upscale leather goods store. She spent $511 on a black fringe leather jacket and red, yellow, and black cowboy boots. She wore the red boots out of the store. 30 minutes later at a jewelry store, she signed June Roberts' name on a credit card charge for a $161 diamond and sapphire drop earring set. At Mervyn's, a popular chain department store, she purchased... <clears throat> a dozen pair of women's underwear and three pair of children's shoes for Jason for $168. Five pairs of boys' jeans and Levi's, eight shirts and a handful of boys' socks and undies for $240. And a new sheet set for $41. Of course, all charged to June. On the way home, she stopped at a convenience store for candy, snacks, sodas, beers, and a few tchotchkes for $75. Wow. Upon arriving home, Dana quickly brought in as many bags as she could before her boyfriend, Jim, could see them. After Jim, Dana, and Jason finished a dinner, which Dana had prepared, she picked up the phone and dialed the number for Murrieta Hot Springs, one of the poshest spas in the area. After requesting one of their top massages, the receptionist asked for her name. She answered, June Roberts. At almost the same time that Dana was on the phone with the spa, June's friends, expecting to take her out for her birthday, walked through the front door of her home to find her strangled and bludgeoned to death. Wow. Can you, I mean, no, No. nobody can imagine. And why would you want to? But oh my gosh. Yeah. Devastating. And just senseless. So. Senseless for shopping, like for credit cards. I mean, like. Are you kidding me? And the fact that she could encounter all these people right after killing someone and not have any emotion, there's something wrong. I mean, I've heard of people who are literally, like, addicted to shopping. I mean, I enjoy shopping, but I'm certainly not addicted. And 
like to me this like sounds literally like what this is like she literally has like an addiction and she it's just like a high that she gets and she can't not do it to the point because i mean i'm gonna murder you and then literally whoa let's go shopping let's just that's it's insane it's It's insane. insane yeah Unfortunately, the killer, which we now know is Dana, sure. did not leave any clues in this murder either. However, investigators noted many similarities between cases. First and foremost, the location. Two deaths in a gated community. Because it's the uh, same community, it's right? It's the same community. Okay. Exactly. Two Within two weeks. Yes, yeah, okay. exactly. That couldn't go overlooked. Yeah, and that's a good point, too. I'll bring that up. Subtle things where both women had been killed in, like, the living room den. Both women had been killed in broad daylight, Mm -hmm. which is also insane. In both cases, the women still wore significant gold and diamond rings. So they weren't, okay, it wasn't like a robbery gone around. Which is interesting because she likes the finer things, but only if she buys them herself. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. For a killer not to take these things, I mean, is notable, right? Mm -hmm. Also, in both cases, it appeared the killer was rummaging rather than ransacking. Because she was looking specifically for the cards. Okay. But they couldn't figure out what was she looking for, right? Right. They didn't realize it was the cards. Like, how would you notice those were missing right away? Right. And this was in the 90s. So, like... Now we would probably, I assume, probably immediately be like, hmm, this person's credit card is being used immediately after that death. Well, and that, and eventually that comes forward. But okay. again, they're looking at this mass Everything. of data and they didn't notice. Okay. Because again, her purse is still there. Right. The rings are still there. Right. Cash is still there. So they're like, is this really a robbery? Yeah. They don't know what to the look The only for. thing, and literally in both cases, she literally just took two cards not all the cards oh didn't take the id didn't take the checkbook literally just those cards so again you're gonna go okay well the wallet's still there the purse is still there you're not gonna go through each individual card so she was smart in that respect to not like make it super obvious that this was a robbery or she was just very deliberate in what she wanted yeah but but why not take the cash too she's bizarre again bizarre bizarre yeah Also, very interesting was the dual modes of death. Strangling and bludgeoning is really a unique detail. I thought that was weird. Like, like she and she did it with both of them. I'm going to strangle you and then I'm going to stab you. Yeah, that's really unusual, even amongst like killers in general, Mm -hmm. to have Mm -hmm. two modes of death is very unusual. And two different. In the first case, she strangled and stabbed. In the second case, she strangled and bludgeoned. Right. Very weird. But the strangling with the just like ending you like part is is unique yeah interesting yeah while detectives were looking at these significant data points trying to figure out okay who is our killer the killer herself was spending away Mm -hmm. on june's cards alone she spent over two thousand dollars a day wow and food clothing massages handbags shoes perfume Home decorations and novelties. Basically, whatever she wants. Right. On a whip. She's just like, I just want this. I'm just going to get it. Finally, on March 7th, Norma's family members reported fraudulent credit card charges to the police detectives. Okay. So it just took a few, like, not even that. It took, like, three weeks for them to be like, okay, wait a minute. Like, right. something's not right here. It didn't take long. For the police to retrace Dana's steps and get a very detailed sketch from cashiers and servers all over Temecula. See, that's the thing that's not very smart. Like, this is traceable. Absolutely it is. Paper trails. I mean, it's the 90s, but it wasn't that long ago. You're going to know where these charges are coming from. There's even cameras. Absolutely there are cameras. And, And again, these servers, like, she made it apparent, like... You know, the waiter was like, oh, yeah, there was this lady. She ordered all this food. Like, she's just conspicuous. Yes. yes, You know, very Not even trying to be. No. Yeah. No. Days later, on March 10th, 57-year-old Dorenda Hawkins was working alone Mm. at Main Street Trading Post in Lake Elsinore. It was a brightly lit antique store with all kinds of bits and bobs. And in comes Dana Sue Gray. No. I know. Dana explained that she wanted to frame some old vintage pictures of her mom and would love to look at the options they kept in the back of the store. 
Dorinda obliged and started showing her some of the lovely options the owner offered. And then she felt it. The yellow nylon rope around her neck. And Dana was pulling it tighter and tighter. Dorinda put up a fight and even managed to land a few kicks. But unfortunately, she was no match for the powerfully, powerfully athletic Dana. As Dorinda lay motionless on the floor of the antique store, Dana took $5 out of Dorinda's purse, leaving a $20 bill, and used the cash register key to take out $25 from the cash register and left. So she killed a woman for $30. $30 bucks is what she took. The next day, though, Dorinda was able to give detectives a detailed uh, sketch. Yes. <laughs> Go, Dorinda. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> I was really stressed. I know. So she Good. was able to give a description. And wouldn't you know, it matched these other sketches that the wow. police had. Whoa. The most chilling part of Dorinda's, Dorinda's testimony to me, though, mm -hmm. revealed some very haunting truths about Dana. As Dorinda was instinctively reaching to pull the rope from her neck, she locked eyes with the stranger attacking her. She looked directly in her eyes, expecting to find hatred, but said she found none. She saw no emotion. Mm. Only a look of determination that Dana had a job to do and was going to do it. She saw no hate, no malice, no excitement, no hint of a drug-crazed gleam, just a look like she had killed before and was determined to do it again. Wow. And you know what? If it weren't for that lack of a second form of violence, because that's the difference between yes. the crime scenes. Yes. Why, why didn't she bludgeon her? I don't know. Yeah, that's weird. She only strangled her. Which... Yeah. Didn't kill her. Yeah, thank goodness. Yeah, well, sure. Yeah. yeah. But like, wow. Yeah. It was at this time that Jerry, remember Dana's stepmother, mm -hmm. became an important part of the investigation. Originally, when Norma was found deceased, Jerry became almost a suspect, or at least she was considered a possible okay. suspect, right? Because she, right. Was, she was seeing her all the time. And so detectives got to know her really well through all this questioning. And it became pretty evident very quickly that she didn't have anything to do with it. Sure. And they actually became friends. And Jerry was very determined to find out who Norma's killer was. And so she would often help the detectives. And so they would call her. Like, if they thought they had a lead, they would say, hey, what do you think about this? Or do you know this person? Or did Norma ever go here? Those kinds of things. They came to her and showed her the sketches. <gasps> I was going to say. Uh... It sealed Dana's fate. Wow. Yeah. By March 16th. Now, remember, the first murder was on February 14th. Oh, my gosh. Like, literally This is a March month. 16th. A month. Yes. March 16th, she Jerry had named Dana as the most likely killer. She was like, it kind of lines up with everything. Yeah. And every at least two of the three victims were connected to her that's exactly right so it was all kind of like yeah place, yeah right? okay unfortunately this revelation came too late for 87 year old oh, dora bb no yeah on march 16th again think about so the detectives learned this information march 16th this is also march 16th the morning of march 16th a few minutes after dora came home from an early morning eye doctor's appointment, Dana pulled up in front of Dora's house. Dana knocked on Dora's door and asked her for directions. Dora invited Dana inside to look at a map. Once inside, Dana attacked and killed Dora. Dora was strangled and beaten with a steam iron with such force that it dented the iron and split open her skull. Wild. Now, a steam iron, that's like what we use, right? Like an exactly. iron that has steam. That's exactly what it is. Yes. To hit, those things are so heavy and so like solid. Yeah. To hit something with that to the point where it dents, I can't even imagine doing it. Yes. Wow. Yes. Dana was found the next day by her boyfriend of eight oh, years. Oh, no. Dora 
was a stranger that was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. Being kind, opening the door for this woman and showing yes. her a map. Yeah, literally he had just gotten home. This lady pulled up, said, hey, I like directions. And that was it. Wow. An hour. No. Mm-hmm. After leaving Dora's home, Dana withdrew $2,000 from the widow's bank account and used the money to go on yet another shopping spree. Now, remember the timeline of everything. So police already decided, okay, this is our most likely suspect. So they started tailing her. They started tailing her while she was withdrawing this money. Oh, wow. Okay. Crazy, okay. right? So she's in there getting this money. They started trailing her. So they're like, okay, we started following her at the bank. They follow her to all these stores. She's going in, you know, and it doesn't take her long to drop a ton of cash, right? Sure. So she's going in. She's spending, you know, 30 minutes later, she's at another store. 30 minutes later, she's in another store just spending all this money, right? They follow her back to her home where she starts unloading the car. Bags and bags and bags of things coming out of her car into the home. Police had seen enough. They're mm -hmm. like, okay, we're done. This is our girl, right? So they escorted Dana. <laughs> quote, escorted. <laughs> they took her immediately to interrogation room. And police at the scene when they arrested her or basically took her in for questioning reported they could barely see the linoleum floor under all the unpacked shopping bags. They said it was reminiscent of Christmas morning before the mayhem had been cleaned up. And I've seen pictures. It literally is just bags, like shopping bags, like through the whole house. It's wild. That aren't, haven't even been opened. Right. And think about it. If she's buying all this within like a month period, yeah. you barely even have time to use any of the things and you're just buying new things. So it literally is like the addiction of like swiping the card and buying the thing. She's like the hoarders where they just like. Was turning into one. For yeah. Sure. Where they yeah. just have to have, to have the, the stuff. stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Propped in the corner, they found a new $1,000 Trek mountain bike. Wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, not, it's just wild. Yeah. The thing that she spent just on. Just on a whim. She's like, Diamonds, mountain yes. bikes. Yeah, yeah. During her interrogation, she adamantly denied any wrongdoing. Detectives interviewed her for hours. And even though she knew she was, they knew she was the killer, they couldn't get her to confess. They then started telling her that she had been on security footage at all these venues she had frequented. Mm -hmm. Now, again, this is so new. They actually hadn't gotten any mm -hmm. footage. Mm -hmm. I mean, they had a few, but they didn't have a ton. But they kept telling her that they did, mm -hmm. like expecting her to be like, okay, fine. You found me out. The one place they knew for sure she had been was Provident Bank, which is where she had withdrawn Dora's money. Because that's where they started telling her. So they were like, listen, we know you were there. We know you were there. And she kept saying, no, no, no. They kept pressing her. Finally, she, she broke and started crying. I say she broke. She broke for her. But she started crying. And they said, what's going on? Hoping that she's going to confess to everything. And she said, well, I, I'm just so scared to tell you what happened. And they said, no, just come on, Dana. Just tell us what happened. She said, well, I um, I found a purse. Oh, uh -huh. okay. Okay. I found a purse and it had a bank book in it. And the detectives are like, okay, great. She's going to tell us it was Norma. She's going to tell us it was Dorinda. She's going to tell us it was June. But she says, it, it, you know, and they said, tell us the name. Tell us the name. And she said, well, it was, it had something like Betty or Baby. And of course, this name meant nothing to the detectives, right? They're like, who was this person that she's even talking about? They decided to take a break and the detective stepped out. They ran into another detective team who said, we have another murder. <gasps> oh. And they said, what's her name? And they said, Dora Baby. Mm. And at that time, they realized they had missed her by hours. Mm -hmm. And this was another victim. Mm. That's how they found out she wow. had another victim. <laughs> Wild. But, but, uh, the, yeah, the sadness they must have felt just like, wow, our, like we literally could have potentially been following her to the house and stopped it. Wow. Yeah. Within hours, that they stinks. missed it. In the wee hours of the next morning, Dana finally admitted to the thefts but denied the murders with the mounting evidence against her though, police arrested her for two counts of murder that of June and Dora without a confession. Dana first ended up entered a plea of insanity, but in 1998, she changed her plea to guilty hmm. admitting to the June and Dora killings in the attempted murder of Dorinda. 
As part of the plea deal, the judge agreed not to charge Deanna for the third murder. Now, it's disappointing that she's not getting charged for Nora's murder, but I read also that the detectives, they really had a hard time finding any evidence that it was her. Like, everyone knows it was her, but they didn't Mm -hmm. have any evidence. So the fact that they were able to use it as basically a bargaining chip for the other murders, I mean, at least she's in prison. Yeah, I just feel bad for her family. Absolutely. Who doesn't get to, like, say, yes, she was convicted for this. It's, like, a weird, even though the punishment doesn't change. And, like... It, it is kind of stinky, um, so it's disappointing. But, but hopefully they can look at it like, well, they were able to use our loved ones to put her away forever. Exactly. Like, That's exactly Find right. some peace in it. Exactly. So she was sentenced to life without parole. She remains at the women's prison in Chowchilla, where she, some- <laughs> brace yourself, where she sometimes sends collectibles to murderabilia websites. <gasps> no, I hate her. Are you familiar with yes. these websites? So for anyone who doesn't know, murderabilia websites are websites that criminals, mostly incarcerated criminals, send out things that they have worn or touched or used or made. And they send them to these websites to be auctioned off by really disturbed people, in my opinion. Right. Someone who would be willing to support a murderer That's just right. so they can be like, oh, look, it's, you know. That's right. So, Cynthia, you will be so disappointed to know that someone has already scooped up the $250 autograph panties. Okay, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up. Used. Of course they are. Of course. But don't worry. You still have a chance to grab the $65 hand tracing and the, quote, prison-worn t-shirt decorated with a drawing of a boob blue butterfly perched on a skeleton's hand wow christmas list i know what i'll be getting you for christmas (laughs) stephanie and if it weren't so freaking disgusting and morbid actually that would be really funny to get yeah don't get me that (laughs) side note if if it weren't like so like if it weren't so what a slap in the face like Yeah. yeah I do have a little bit of a, I mean, we're obviously into true crime and stuff, but like, I do have a little bit of a problem with the people who like, almost like put these terrifying, scary, horrible people like on these pedestals, like, and like, who's your favorite serial killer? Well, none of them. I hate all of the serial killers. Yeah. They're actually all depraved. Yeah. I don't have a favorite. I don't wear like, you know, no, no serial killer t-shirt kind of things. No. No fan clubs. So that, I guess that's like my problem with like the murderabilia kind of thing is it's just like, these people are awful people. Now, will I go to a museum and look at John Wayne Gacy's original clown costume? Yes. Ooh, that gives me shivers just thinking about it. Like the Alcatraz Museum in Gatlinburg is like full of that kind of stuff. And that's fascinating, but I don't know. To me, that's just, I wouldn't like buy that in an auction. You're not going to buy $250 worn prison panties? Probably not. Dana Sue Gray? Oh, probably not. Not your wheelhouse, Mm -mm. huh? The handprint, mm, the hand trace. No, yeah, no. (laughs) Now, most of my research um, I got from a book called To Die For, which is written by Kathy Braidhill, and it's all about Dana's story. Okay. So it kind of tells at the beginning and to end. And it's a neat book, too, because it reads like a novel. Um, which I mean, it's, it, it, and this is a perfect case for that because Mm -hmm. it seems so bizarre. Like this can't be real. It seems like a lifetime original movie. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. But these notes were in the very front, um, at the prologue. And I like to read you just kind of word for word because it's, it's so nail on the head here. Dana Sue Gray is a rarity. There are 36 documented female serial killers. Only 36. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so rare, right? Yeah. There are 36 documented female serial killers whose murderous careers span the 19th and 20th century. A serial killer is defined by the FBI as one who commits a murder in one location, followed by a period of time where they live a relatively normal life without criminal activity, a.k.a. making dinner for your family Mm -hmm. and things, followed by another murder in another location, and then another crime-free period. So this is different than like a mass murder sure, yes. kind of thing. Yeah. 
Dana is highly unusual by her choice of victim and the gruesome in-your-face method of ending their lives by using her hands and a phone cord to strangle than a handy tool to bludgeon. According according to Murder Most Rare, which is a book by um, uh, Dr. Kohler, there are no known cases in which a woman strangled her victims both with a ligature and manually then finished them off by bludgeoning. The other unique aspect of Dana's crime is her choice of victims. She was a switch hitter, meaning two of her victims were those with whom she had a remote family bond. The other two were complete strangers. I wondered about that, too. I yeah. was like, okay, what's the connection? It oh, doesn't fit there the is mold. none. She was just driving by and saw an old lady or she exactly was in a store. Right. And Okay. Wild. Dr. Patricia Kirby, a psychologist also once a homicide detective for the Baltimore police and a former FBI profiler, said that if Dana truly wanted credit cards, she would have found a way to obtain them without harming anyone. Kirby suggests that it was the act of killing, and in particular, the act of struggling with her victims that was her goal. Dana sought lethal excitement, mu- excitement much the same way she sought excitement by leaping out of an airplane, windsurfing, and other thrill sports. Lunch, beauty shop pampering, and shopping afterward was the celebration of the kill. If that doesn't give you chills, I don't know what I does. am baffled because as you were saying that, it makes so much sense. Yeah. Given the extreme violence that Dana exhibited in murdering her victims, Kirby and others have wondered when Dana's killing spree truly began, because we thought Norma was the right first one. However, they've questioned the relationship between the loss of her nursing job and the start of her killing spree. Hospital authorities for each of the institutions that employed Dana insist there were no, quote, unusual deaths during the time that Dana was employed there. But question mark. Big question mark, because I'll tell you, she like went into it like full throttle. It's it's hard to imagine that was her first one, but I don't know. She's so bizarre. Maybe She's it so was. Bizarre. But like even when you're like reading the definition of a serial killer, you're like, oh, and then for a period of time, resort, returns to normal life. And well, she I'm did thinking, for like a week. Yeah. Like which wasn't even normal because she was out buying money on their stolen right, cars. She's still on the afterglow. So yes. like wow. Ooh, I ooh, I have chills. Ooh. <laughs> ooh. That but it, you know what it's ugh, like the fact I'm my mind is still blown over the whole um it wasn't for the credit cards that was the celebration mm. it was for the kill which makes so much sense it so does. much sense because that's why you're gonna leave the twenty and take the five because it's not really about the money it's it's the um, except she spent a lot of money for it not being about the money too right but I bet you with every purchase like and there probably is like some real shopping. Like well, and clearly she was overindulgent and like her spending that was already her mo, right? But I do feel like she was like, I've done it now. I just get to just again, like they said, the celebration of the kill. Yeah, yeah. But the the fact because that is one thing. This whole time I've been like this. I mean, we've talked about in other cases how women generally prefer nonviolent. If we're gonna murder, we normally do it with poison or like overdosing somebody or something. We prefer nonviolent methods in both homicide and suicide. So the fact that these are these are very violent to strangle, yeah, face to face strangulation. It's very hard. it's very personal. It's very physically hard. Yeah, you have it's not just like a thirty second thing like you see in movies. You are literally it's yes. minutes long, and she knew that. Like in in June's case, that she tied the phone cord to the chair leg to keep pressure. Wow. Wow. Okay. Monster. 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 Yeah. And I find it wild that she isn't talked about more. I've never heard of her. So I think that some of that is because all of her killings were in such a brief period. So think about the entire thing from beginning to end was like six weeks, which is also wild. And again, she wasn't on the run. It wasn't a manhunt. Right. They knew who she was. They brought her in pretty quickly. but. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like the the just atrocity she was able to commit wow. so quickly is terrifying. 
terrifying and really mind blowing that someone can snap that quickly right and become this this monster and it makes it does make me feel sad for the little girl that she once was knowing yeah. that okay she didn't have a very healthy childhood and maybe she didn't have a great example of like mother and how to handle big feelings and you know and then her mom died tragically and suddenly and like so you know i feel bad for like that person but like we also all make choices and whoa she made a lot of really she bad made ones. a lot of really bad choices i mean it sounded like she kind of had this uptick in her life and then it was just a yeah. dramatic fall well maybe the uptick wasn't like she probably there are some people who just really love dysfunction mm. and so maybe like when things are you know there is a certain like panic like when you're panicked about whatever it is, there's like a certain adrenaline, you know, when you're in trauma, when you're in stress, and whether that's a volatile relationship or in debt or trying to conceive or having like there's a yeah. certain stress that like keeps you amped up. And if she genuinely like really loves that, then when things are going well and you're not feeling that, when you can just relax. Maybe that just didn't work for her. I would love to like have somebody study her brain and see like what was wrong with it. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. Because it's obviously not a normal. She's not normal. Uh, I would hope this is not normal. Because right. I would hate to think there are a lot of Suna Dana Sue Grays out amongst us. Yeah. But like I feel like she literally like had something, something like. Not right. Yeah. There... I mean, you know, and I'm not going to like diagnose her with anything. But right. definitely everything I know about sociopaths and things yeah. like that. I mean, to have no remorse. Yeah. I mean, to just. There's a baby in the car while I go kill, you know, like. Yeah, all that. Weird. Like, and then to just. And what's crazy is she and many of the reports really cared about Jason, the five-year-old. Like, was really concerned about him. And think about, she purchased a lot of things I, for I, him. I thought that, too. I was like, it wasn't even just stuff for herself. It was clothes for him and get his hair cut. And, like. No, but at the same time, I imagine that she was probably like, tell me, thank you. Like. And so to have mm. him kind of praising her or to make her feel better about herself, wow. you know, because I imagine he was like, oh, Dana got these for me. Yeah, Dana got fun. These for me. We had fun. We went shopping. We went to this restaurant. Like we went out and did things like so it, it may that also may have been I mean, it, on the surface, it seems like something possibly benevolent if you want to use mm -hmm. that word. But really, it could have just been another selfish move. Right. Well, and the other thing is, I think people if there actually is like a genuine like shopping addiction which sounds so dumb but i know some people really have it yeah literally a lot of times people will just get the thrill from swiping the card it doesn't matter what it's yeah. for it doesn't even matter whose card it is but literally the thrill is in the spending of the money no matter what it is doesn't matter what it is just let me swipe my card yeah so this could have been a co combination Crazy. i mean a thrill of the kill and then the thrill of the swipe wow Killing and swiping. Killing and swiping. Stephanie, you uh, you really <laughs> brought it today. Woo! Bringing it home. Wow. And a lot of shopping bags. <laughs> wow. That's awful. Yeah. It really, I mean, I, these, these poor sweet ladies. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, on that note, um, join us next week for more thrills and chills. Thanks for joining us on The Dark Oak. This has been a Just Us Gals production with artwork by Justice Holmes and music by Ryan Creek.